Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Well, a few weeks ago, we embarked in a brand new series, simply called Nehemiah, Rebuilding Broken Dreams. And at the rate that we're going, we're going to finish sometime around September. Uh, here it is week four. We're only in chapter two. There's 13 chapters. So this is, looks like it's going to take a while. So I uh, decided I need to speed things up so we can also be ready for our summer series. For those of you who may be just joining us uh, for the first time, we certainly want to welcome you. We're glad to have you aboard. And uh, we just want to get you caught up to speed, give you a kind of a two-minute review as to what we've already done in the series. In chapter one, we're introduced to a man named Nehemiah. We hardly know anything about him other than we know his name of his dad, the name of his brother. We know he's been at a job for 20 years, so he has some steady income. We know he's a cupbearer to the king, which some people would say, wow, what a prestigious job that is to have a job in the royal household. Well, that's not so in Nehemiah's case. He didn't take the job because there's all kinds of perks to the job. He took the job, or he has the job, because he's actually a captive of the king. Uh, we, we know in chapter 1 that his brother went to the city of Jerusalem and came back and told Nehemiah the report of the fact that the city is literally in ruins. The, the people are a mess. The economy is a wreck and despair can be found in every corner of the city. And no one seems to have a plan to change things. And Nehemiah gets the full rundown uh, from his brother and how the people are broken. I mean, he's living a thousand miles away, and yet the news crushes him. What we're told that when he heard the news, he, he just sat down, and he wept, and he, and he mourned, and he fasted, and he prayed and asked God, what can I do that could help change things? Well, four months have, have transpired between chapter one and chapter 2. And so for four months, Nehemiah has this personal burden that he carries, asking himself, how can I actually change things? And one day, something happens. The king notices that Nehemiah is not his usual self. I mean, after 20 years, Nehemiah always comes into the presence of the king with a smile. He's always got good news, maybe a great joke, but this particular day, there's something unusual about Nehemiah. And the king picks up on it. And the king asks Nehemiah, what, what's wrong, Nehemiah? Obviously, it's more than just sickness. Something is heavy on your heart. And then he asks him, what can I do uh, to help? This has got to be the weirdest day for Nehemiah uh, ever experienced working on this job. I mean, to have the king ask you, what is the problem and how can I help you? Now remember, Nehemiah has been praying and hurting and, and seeking God for about four months. And it says that Nehemiah was afraid when the king actually asked him the question. And then quickly it says that Nehemiah prayed again. One of those quick text prayers, you know, help! Help me, Lord. Well, to make a long story short, uh, the king gives everything that Nehemiah asked for. He gives him the time off. He, he gives him a pass to be able to travel through uh, enemy territory. He, he's also given him permission to get all the supplies from the king's resource. I mean, the king's actually going to pay for the rebuilding of the 
Jerusalem walls and the gates. And I know that sometimes we go, what is going on? Some people would say, this sounds like a fairy tale. Well, there is something going on uh, for sure. Because this is not normal. This is a God moment. This is a, a God story. And what we're discovering is that God loves to use ordinary people to accomplish his purposes. I, I was trying to think, where, where did Nehemiah get the boldness to talk that way uh, to the king and, and ask for all those things? Well, then when I was reading through chapter 1, again, I was reminded his boldness comes from the reality that the Word of God said that if the people of God would turn their faces back to God, that God would reestablish the place that God had chosen for his people to live, the city of, of Jerusalem. And we find that in chapter 1. So really, what brought this confidence uh, to Nehemiah's life was the promises of God that were found in the Word of God. And I always like to point people back uh, to God's Word and to remind them that we can live with confidence because of what God has said in His Word. I mean, you look at His Word. His Word says He will never leave us. He would never turn His back on us. He would never forsake us. We're told that if we confess our sins, He is actually faithful and just to forgive us. Uh, of our sins, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that he's as close as the mention of his name. And God has an impeccable track record when it comes to keeping his promises. Well, the book of Nehemiah, it appeals to me because it's such a practical book. And, and as we go through the pages and look at the life and experiences of Nehemiah, we find again and again that Nehemiah deals with problems and decisions that are very relevant to us who are living today. See, Nehemiah is going to face some great adversities. There's going to be criticism that will come his way. There's plots uh, by his enemies. There, there's complaints uh, by the workers. There, there's famine. There's um, inflation, uh, greedy merchants, and, and much, much more. And step by step, problem by problem, Nehemiah goes to God for help and guidance. It's a great example of what we ought to do when adversity comes up on our porch and starts knocking at our door. So let's continue with the story. Chapter 2. And we're going to pick it up in verse 10. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 10. When Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Nehemiah says, I went to Jerusalem and after staying there for three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one that I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley uh, gate uh, toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. Now, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. 
because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble that we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But, but when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about this, they mocked and they ridiculed us. <laughs> what is this that you're doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historical right to it. Nehemiah has this holy discontent. He's like, I just can't sit around here and, and see my people living in despair. I, I can't live from a distance and let the city of Jerusalem lie in ruins. You know, when I was reading through this passage this week, one of the things that really stood out to me was how Nehemiah entered into the city. I mean, he's there for three days and he hasn't said a word as to why he's there. This is not what I would have expected. And I'm kind of embarrassed to say this is not how I would have entered the city. I mean, Nehemiah, he has a plan, he has permission, and he has the power to make things happen. I mean, I would have ran into the city and say, said, the king is for us, the king is on our side, the king is paying for it all, let's build these walls. You know, I would have been the type of person who would have set up a trailer on site, unloaded uh, the gear, unpacked the tools, started collecting resumes for bricklayers, I would have rolled in the heavy equipment, interviewed subcontractors, and had a backhoe beginning to uh, dig for footings. And while all that was happening, I still would be saying, the king is for us, the king is for us, we're building the walls, we're building the walls. But this kind of announcement would have been a huge mistake. In this situation, wisdom waits. You see, I think Nehemiah is not just... Uh, taking inventory of the physical condition of the city, but the spiritual condition of the people. And then we read that Nehemiah goes on a midnight ride to inspect the conditions of the wall that surrounds the city. I've often wondered, I, I wonder what his first thoughts were. I, I wonder if he was overwhelmed. I, I wonder if he thought this is a far bigger job than even what I had dreamed it was going to be. Or did he ride around that city and just say, you know, God can do this. God can do this. But we discover that the next day he gathers the leaders and he points out the obvious. He says, the city is a wreck. Which, I don't know, maybe some of the officials, the leaders of the city said, oh, thanks for reminding us, Nehemiah. Thanks for rubbing that in our face. Tell us something we don't know. Yeah, the city is in a wreck. But I also noticed that Nehemiah says, like, we are in a mess. Notice he didn't say, you folks are in trouble. He includes himself. He says, 
we're living in shambles. Let's not continue to live this way. Let's remove the disgrace and do something about the situation. And then he goes on to tell them this God story, to remind them this is actually a God project. In fact, it's God who wants to restore um, our city. It's God who wants us to rebuild these walls. It's God who's going to rebuild our dreams and our broken lives. Well, as we read, when the work starts, guess what happens? Opposition shows up. In the last uh, few weeks, we've talked about what is it that I can do, you know, that we can do to make a difference uh, in our city, uh, in our world. You know, sometimes you make a decision that you're going to make a difference in your life, and then opposition all of a sudden shows up. Maybe you said recently, we are going to start going to t uh, church more regularly. And then the Sunday that you decide that the coronavirus comes and church gets shut down as far as the building. And so you make the decision, well, you know what? We're going to start watching online church services. That's how we're going to begin to gauge. And, and 10 minutes before the, you, you turn on the computer, you get in your biggest fight, and, and you find yourself cursing for the 10 minutes right before the service starts. And you're like, man, I, I wanted to be different this time. Or, or maybe as a family, you say, you know what? We, we are no longer going to live in debt. We're changing things. And so you, you, you have this plan, and all of a sudden, that week, the furnace breaks down, and you get a $1,000 bill. You think, man, how did that happen? You'd be guaranteed when you decide to make some changes, opposition will be right around the corner. You know, maybe you, you have had something going on inside of you that makes you feel like God is leading you to do something. And, and it's been kind of, you know, going over in your mind and your heart and your soul. And finally you share it with somebody. And you say, I feel like God is leading me to. And you finally get it out. And someone says to you, who do you think you are? You can't do that. That's crazy what you're thinking. And all of a sudden, you know, you, you're, you're kind of crushed. Because opposition will always be there when you make a decision to make some changes. So don't be surprised when you face opposition. Don't be surprised when you face opposition. Let me tell you, our enemy does not bother with those who are not a threat. Let me say that again. Our enemy does not bother those who are not a threat. Remember in 1 Peter 5, 8, we're told, be on the alert because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. And when you start moving forward, opposition is going to be right around the corner when you make a decision, I'm going I'm to make a difference with my life. Yeah. Our enemy is going to try his best to reroute you. The beginning of chapter 2, the, the battle has been raging in Nehemiah's heart and mind. But the battle has been invisible. But as soon as the king showed his favor towards Nehemiah, 
Well, then the battle becomes very visible, no longer invisible, no longer a battle waged in private prayer, but the battle's out in the open for everyone to see. And we will see that he, that he refuses to surrender to the enemy. And he will call the people together to give their blood, sweat, and tears. And they will discover that there's no such thing as an opportunity without opposition. In verse 18, it says... Let us start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. I, I want to speak into your life today. And I've been praying with great expectation that we all will hear from the heart of God. That we would be stirred by His Spirit to believe that He wants to do more in us and through us. In chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see it very plainly. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Your life can have a profound impact on this world. Now, when I say that, I know some of you are quick, very quick to put up roadblocks and say, well, 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 I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm just an IT guy. I'm just an engineer, I'm just a teacher. I'm just a high school student. I am not a professional. And guess what? You are exactly the kind of person who God wants to use to impact a broken world where there's broken lives and broken hearts and broken dreams. He wants to use you. What is it that you see? Let a hold of my hand. Do you see a, a glass of water that is half gone? Do you see it half empty? Or do you see it half full? What do you see when you look at our city and our country and our world. You know, when Nehemiah looked at the world, he, he saw destruction and violence and sin, but he also saw that the wall should be standing tall for the people of God to be able to live in the city. He saw what should be. And when he looked at himself, he thought, I, I, I can't necessarily do this on my own. But when he saw God, he saw God as the provider, the protector, the accomplisher of his purposes on this earth. So when you look around and see the world, what do you see? Do you see despair or do you see the opportunity to bring hope? into a world, a world that needs Christ more now than ever before and therefore has never needed you more. Do you see this as an opportunity to make a difference 
Because like Nehemiah, you and I have been uniquely created to do something that no one else can do. But even with all maybe the abilities that we have and all the talents that we may have in all the world means nothing if all we're going to do is sit on the sidelines. God is going to rebuild the walls. And God is going to rebuild broken lives. And God is going to rebuild broken hearts. And God's going to rebuild broken dreams. And we have two options we can either watch or we can join. Join in what he's doing. Nehemiah heard the plight of the people who lived so far away, but he let their pain become his pain. Nehemiah took a risk to make a difference, even knowing opposition would be knocking at his door. What is it what is it that God is calling you to do so that a good work may begin? I close with these words spoken by the missionary who opened up the land of India, William Carey. He said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Thanks for listening, and consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com.